there will be a castle here next week. Yeah, I mean, you saw a cabin here last year at Vacation Bible School, but we're moving up. We're doing the, uh, a castle, and we're going back to the Sunshine Kingdom. I, um, if you haven't learned yet, I, I, I love doing this. And there's, there's, an, there's an engineering task. There's a, there's a call for ingenuity. Maybe it's something like MacGyver, or maybe it's something like the space program where they have to figure out how to take these items and turn them into an air filter for Apollo 13. Uh, and, and, and we've had to do that. When we went on mission trips, when we were in Scotland, we had to build puppet stages out of whatever we had. And I remember the first time we went, they have no such thing as duct tape. And when you take a guy from Arkansas and you take duct tape, you might as well cut his arm off if he doesn't have duct tape to work with. And I, but we, we, did some, we did some clever stuff. We made drawbridges and stuff like that. This will be the biggest challenge yet because we have to make a castle where a time machine driven by a blue bear crashes through a castle wall. I don't know how we're going to do it yet, but we'll see. It's fun. I want to say this to all of you. Um, when we put the call out to come and help us with all of this, you responded. And I want to thank you for that. And those sign-ups are still out there. It's an opportunity now. I mean, if there was a moment of worry that we wouldn't have enough people, that, that worry has passed. But we never want there to be just enough people. I mean, this church has always thrived because if somebody wants to get involved, we let them get involved. Don't worry that there's, oh, well, they've already got enough people. That's not the point. The point is everybody comes and has a lot of fun. We're doing this in the evening at 6.30 because we want this to be something that everybody can enjoy. And, um, and so I want to encourage you to be a part of this, passing on this faith. Many of you have responded to the need for teachers, helpers, um, uh, nursery workers, people in our Sunday morning and Wednesday night classes that take place all the time. Carrie's been asking for uh, new leadership and new blood in the Gateway program. Let's help him out with that. There's an opportunity here, and what I want you to do is pray and ask if God is calling you to that. Because um, there's a joy in knowing that you've got these gifts that God has given you, not for your own sake, but for the service of the church, and then you get to use that to bless others, especially if you're investing in children and their families. So I want to thank you. You are walking it. You are talking it. Let's try this one. And you are repeating it. So we're going to keep it going. Uh, this, is the, this is the last sermon we'll have about this uh, particular emphasis. But we're going to keep it going. Because we don't just put this on the shelf. We have to keep it going. We have to continue to be that nurturing environment. I've seen that happen here for 14 years. I've seen it happen in the in the church of jesus christ in the in the in the kingdom of god i've seen it happen for as long as i've been baptized even before that because um people took me seriously when i was a little child and didn't even know uh the first thing about the bible and because of that then because of their interest and their investment and their work 
uh, I get to return that. And I've been blessed to, to know God in my life and the life of my family. So we're going to keep it going. This growth continues because 14 years ago, when my family came here, we saw this as a strength of this church family. Whether we named it or not, it was in the air that one of the things that made West Ark who they were. And by the way, I believe that not every congregation is exactly the same. I mean, if, if God's going to make snowflakes different, well, why is he going to make every congregation a cookie cutter? You know, some, some churches excel at uh, reaching out to people maybe, uh, you know, overseas. Some churches excel at reaching out to people in their own community. Some churches have been put in an area so that they can reach out to people right there in the inner city or maybe the homeless or, or the poor. Uh, some churches do well at teaching. Some churches do well at worship. I mean, everybody's got this different combination of skills, but there's strengths. And that's Okay. We do not have to be good at everything. We simply have to use the gifts that God has equipped us with. And one of the things that God has called this church to is blessing families and even children. Uh, whether their family is, is here or their family's elsewhere. In 2008, the leaders of the church got together and they affirmed that. They were naming something that was already there. Some of you have heard this. This might be the first time for, for the rest of you, but there were four words that if, if making disciples for Jesus who are eager to serve others, if that's our mission statement, our mission focus takes that into four specific areas. Campus, kids, healing, hope. And I tell you, I, I've seen God at work in that because those words were written on a uh, big, huge post-it note easel uh, in 2008. And then like everything that comes out of those retreats, it was rolled up and stuck in the closet in my office. But then five years later, and by the way, this was a five-year vision. Where are the areas we want to grow? In 2013, I just happened to dig into that closet, pull that out, and you could see the growth in those areas. That's God. That's God doing that. And so we continue to focus on this. And I think specifically when it comes to kids, what we see at work here is we see a commitment. You've responded to the needs that have been put out there. And by the way, if, if, if you haven't heard what the needs are, if this is the first time you're hearing about it, it's not too late. Go right out there to that sign-up board. Come talk to me. Talk to anybody who's involved. Just use your gifts. Express that interest. Interest. But you see here a legacy of service to kids and family. Now, we've, we've never been perfect at it, but we have been committed to it. And now I think we see that growing. Because you had your, we sort of think in traditional terms, our family, our kids, uh, Bible classes, Bible events, youth group events. Yes, all that's good. Yes, we're going to continue that. But now we're seeing that expand, and one of the things that, that I hear in meetings with the leaders is that we're recognizing that there's, there's other things happening, that now all of a sudden God has gifted us to work with um, adopted children, families that are, that are uh, adopting others or fostering families, or now families with special needs that we're uniquely equipped to minister to people. Who, uh, who have needs in those areas. 
And then, boy, God took us to a new place in February of this year with Night to Shine. Well, we got the, the, the email this week. The Tim Tebow Foundation said, we've selected you again for 2018. So we're going to do it again on February 9th, 2018. And you talk about God opening up a new field of ministry to families and to children and to people with special needs. It's growth because we have that commitment to go where God takes us. I remember that years before 2008, I don't exactly remember when. Somebody can refresh my memory. But I know it was before we... um, you know, Dina, Dina Jenkins and her mother, Carolyn Harrell, and, and so many others have always been involved in that children's ministry. Uh, going back, even before there was a West Ark, going into the two congregations that became West Ark, there's always been that commitment to uh, children and their families and teaching children. But I remember that sometime before we uh, officially hired Dina as our children's minister, we, we, we knew that we needed to invest in children's ministry. And so we wanted somebody to coach us and give us some ideas. So we invited a, a brother named Gary Bortz to come out here and to teach us. And he, he's from the Campbell Church of Christ in San Jose, California, which, by the way, is the church where uh, our, our former campus minister, Shane Hughes, that's where he preaches now. But Gary had been doing camp or children's ministry for a long time before anyone even knew there could be such a thing. I mean, youth ministry was new, and then here comes Gary. And so we say, T- you know, teach us, show us, tell us about it. What are some ideas? And of all the things that he said, and boy, he has a unique set of gifts, and he's, uh, he's something of an actor as well. And I remember the sermon, maybe some of you do too, where he stood before us and he played the part of a child in the time of Jesus. And the families were taking those children to see Jesus. But this child's family did not permit him to go there because such a thing just was not done. Oh, it was a heartbreaking, heartbreaking story. But you see from it the importance of what it means to have Jesus bless our children. You've heard me use this phrase that all children... In this congregation, they are our children, whether they are children by blood or whether they are children by the blood of Christ. That statement comes from Gary. He's the one that loaned that to us. And that made an impact on me. And I think that embodies what our commitment is all about. That it's not just about us taking care of our own offspring and giving them a leg up and an advantage in the world, or having them affirm us. That, what, that what's unique about the kingdom of God is that the family of God comes together and they bless all children. Because all children become children of the church family, whether by blood or the blood of Christ. And you look back in history and you see how the church, the family of God did that. In the second century, when unwanted children were being abandoned to the elements. And what they would do is they would just take a child that was not wanted and they would just leave it somewhere to die. It was Christians who had no reason to do this other than what 
they knew to, to be the example and the attitude and the spirit of their Savior who would go and take those unwanted children and bring them in as their children. You say, well, yeah, of course. I mean, everybody would do that, right? Not in that world. Because you would be bringing in another mouth to feed and you would be risking scarce resources to raise a child that's not even your own. But Christians did that. And if you ask them why, they said, because we're all the adopted children of God. And so that commitment lives on in us. And you see Jesus, and by the way, there is a point, it's in that story that Gary told, you see Jesus elevate the importance of children in the kingdom in a way that's not common in his day and age. In Mark 10, and, and this, this, this story is told in, in uh, more than just Mark's gospel, but in Mark 10, we read that one day there were parents who were bringing their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. The disciples of Jesus, those who should be the ones who know him best, believe that it is not the best use of his time or his agenda to be blessing these children. That there are more important kingdom matters to be dealt with. After all, Jesus is the Messiah the rescuer of Israel, the champion of God, the anointed one, the soon-to-be king, the one who's going to conquer the Romans and all the enemies of Israel. And these people are bringing these goofy little kids up there who are screaming and crying and have all sorts of bodily fluids flowing out of their faces and just they're, they're yucky and they're, 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 they're kind of just cranky and they're bringing them to the Master and He's actually blessing them and the disciples say, hey, 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 we can farm that out. Let's get some of the women to take care of that, okay? I mean, let's, uh, you know, come on. You know, we look at this story and we think, oh, those guys messed it up. How often do we get in the way of kingdom work and find ourselves actually in the position of scolding Jesus or scolding the parents who want to bring their children to Jesus? Mm. It's interesting, the response of Jesus. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me, don't stop them. You know how many times Jesus gets angry in the Gospels? Oh, everybody knows. Oh, I'm going to give you the money changer one. You know, everybody knows that one, right? That's Jesus. Uh, that, that is a favorite verse of um, uh, people who are fans of Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse, you know. Because that's, that's kind of how Jesus does it. I mean, he just rolls up his sleeves. I mean, you know that in that gospel story, people imagine Jesus in a shirt, a cut-off shirt with no sleeves. And he's like, I'm going to take it to these money changers. And he's just going to get mad. He's making a whip. And, oh, he's going to belt someone. Well, first of all, he's driving the animals out with the whip. Jesus isn't coming in there with his guns blazing, beating up on people. That's terrible. But he's angry at the greed that's going on in the house of worship and that people are being kept from God 
because they can't bring the proper sacrifice. That's one time Jesus is angry. The other time Jesus is angry is at the stubbornness and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In Mark 3, he's asking them, you know, which, you tell me, is it right to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they know it's a trick question. They don't want to answer. When actually it's just a simple question. But they can't answer. And Jesus is so frustrated that he's angry with their hypocrisy. The other time that Jesus is angry is in John 11. When Lazarus has died and his sisters are in grief. And, and I know, you know, shortest verse in Scripture, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. But I wonder if he's really, you know, boo-hoo grieving, weeping, or if he's crying out in frustration. Because if you read before that, in verse 33, it says, he was stirred by anger. At what? Maybe at death. And the way the world is not the way God intended it to be. I hardly think that he's mad at Mary and Martha on a day when they're grieving. You could have saved him if you've been here. Don't talk to me that way. I don't think so. That's, that's three times. And then if you add this one in, that's four times that Jesus is angry. And if it's that rare for Jesus to be angry then you know he's got to be upset about what he's seen. And every time he's upset, he's upset with a situation that's not the way it's supposed to be. Hypocrisy and stubbornness, not the way it's supposed to be. The greed in the temple, not the way it's supposed to be. Death that causes pain, causes suffering, not the way it's supposed to be. And now disciples who think that it's their job to rank people in the kingdom of heaven and to keep Jesus remotely removed from the littlest ones. When people confuse what the kingdom is, that's what makes Jesus angry. Just look at what he says next. He says, let the children come, don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. A child in Jesus' world is vulnerable. A child in Jesus' world is helpless. A child in Jesus' world has no status. Someone has to come to the kingdom utterly dependent upon the king of the kingdom. Or you'll never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. This is what ought to inform our commitment to kids as a family of God. There's a balance here. You've got two sides of this that make up spiritual mentoring. One is the training and instruction side. That one is easy to get our heads around because our, um, our mode of education in, in, this, in our culture, in our community is based on training and instruction. Teachers are going to have training and instruction goals. We're going to talk about curriculum. We're going to talk about objectives. We're going to talk about levels. We, we understand testing. 
So we have some sense that there are some things that are age-appropriate and that children ought to be learning and we're going to teach them scriptures. I mean, we, we, we get this. This comes to us somewhat naturally. And I would say this is really the church part of it. Because we're training children in how to be a part of this family, of this relationship, this dynamic that we call church. But you can church and forget the of Christ part. I grew up hearing about the church. The church, the church, the church. The church says, the church does, the church is, the church is, the church, the church, the church. That's fine. But it's just as important to hear about the Christ, the Christ, the Christ. In fact, it's even more important, to be honest. Because you can't have a church without the Christ. There is no church without the Christ. He's the one that defines it. He's the head. We're the body. He's the groom. We're the bride. I mean, you see that relationship there. He, he informs it. Now, getting that Christ part down is a little trickier. Because we're not used to relating to people who aren't just here with us in the flesh. He was with us in the flesh, now he's with us in the spirit. It is not natural for us to think of people who have died and are now resurrected. I'm not talking about we remember their spirit or we feel like they're in heaven. I'm talking about someone who has gone through death and come back. But this is the part where the blessing and the nurturing comes in. And if we are going to bless and nurture our children and the children of others and the children that we come in contact with, if we're going to bless them in the name of Jesus and bring them to a knowledge and a relationship with Jesus, then that means that starts with us. You and I have got to have that relationship too. And what you get from this balance is you do get the church being Christ's church and that nurturing and blessing combines with the training and the instruction and what you get out of that is spiritual mentoring i want to tell you a couple of stories some things that i learned you always learn things on vacation we went to uh i got to see mission control at space center houston you know you got it all set up just like you see it in the movies just like you saw it on tv but then they, they've got this new uh, documentary out there and they emphasize the importance of those mission control guys because they're the ones that are guiding this. And you know, before, before all of that started, there was no concept for mission and control. I mean, you had guys on the ground that were watching the jets that would fly, and they were like getting information off of it. But it really came down to this pilot who's up there in the plane flying this thing and, and making everything happen. And he's got some guidance down below. But now, now you're talking about a whole different level of flight. And so it's up to somebody to organize that. And there's a fellow named Chris Kraft. And they've named the historic mission control after him now. And he actually conceives of the idea of this group of all of these different disciplines that are required to get that hunk of metal up into space and out to the moon. Because let me tell you, getting a rocket to the moon is not just rocket science. Oh, no. It takes more than rocket science. 
But he led them and brought that all together. And all the people after him talked about him being the teacher. That he was strict. That he demanded a lot. He trained them. He instructed them. He told them that those astronauts die. It's on them. But at the same time, the people who learned from him said, he also mentored us. And if he gave you his support... He trusted you, and He would back you. That's the blessing, the nurturing side, the spiritual mentoring. If space program doesn't do it for you, let's, let's talk football, okay? Bobby Bowden teaches more about leadership, I think, than a lot of people who are in leadership. He said, my job is not to coach the players. My job is to coach the coaches. And you know, if you ever watch a coach that coaches the players, you got to begin to wonder, okay, that guy's micromanaging. What's the point of having an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, a special teams coach? Why? Bowden said that he'd let his guys make the call, and for better or worse, it'd be their call. Okay, that's generally true, all of that. But you see that this mentoring has got to come to the point that we teach and we train these young people, but at some point, we've got to let them sit beside us. We've got to let them take over the wheel. One of the fascinating things, the things that I love about West Ark, is there are people on staff right now who were trained and grew up in this church. That's a blessing. That means that we are replacing ourselves That means that we are extending ourselves. When you go through that prayer list of those missionaries, some of those are young people who have grown up in this church. And whether it's long term or just for this summer, they're out there doing stuff. Some of the people that are working in the children's ministry right now and are going to be working in VBS are people who at one time were the kids in VBS. And we've got to turn it over to them. We cannot bless and nurture if we refuse to hand the reins off to those who are younger than us. If we micromanage them to death, then we're always going to be just one heart attack away from the failure of the family of God. This is the balance. This is spiritual mentoring. And it ties in with the greatest commands. Because in the church, we learn to love others. But there's also that need to learn as a young person what it means to love God and to love Christ. And that's what it means to mature disciples. Loving others can be difficult because the church is not perfect. The church is being perfected. We are maturing. But churches can be ugly. They can be cranky. They can get it wrong, just like people do. And this is why it's important that a young person has a relationship with Christ and not just the church. Because the church needs to be mature enough to say, okay, we blew it. We failed. But we're going to humble ourselves before our Creator and our Savior. Because if all a young person has is a relationship with the church, that church is going to fail them. And they might equate that church with God. And they're not the same thing. The only way that a young person builds that relationship with the church, or with Christ, is in the church, through the church. So you see, it's very important for us 
to not lead young people to us, but to lead them to the Christ. To show them who God is. To share our experiences and our examples of what it means to love God. You know, right now, our kids are going to be, uh, they're on their way to Soul Quest. They're going to be there, and Lord willing, they'll come away. And during that week and after that week, I'm, I'm going I'm to make you a prediction. A bunch of them are going to get baptized. It happens. It's church camp. That's where we baptize our young people these days, church camp. They, it, it's imitation. They see it. I don't want to dismiss that. I don't want to say, I don't want to put an asterisk beside those and say, that doesn't count. Oh, I know a lot of parents are saying, oh, I'm happy when that happens. That's great. But actually, all of us ought to be happy about that. But here's the thing. We might have a tendency to dismiss that because we might say, well, you know, it's easy to love God when everything is uh, sunshines and rainbows and it's all, you know, upbeat and we're all having a good time and we're all, you know, whoo-hoo, you know, having a pep rally. That's all great. Well, let me tell you this. When they get baptized, when those kids are baptized, then what? And I'm asking that question of us. What are we going to do then? We've had some marriages here lately. We had one last night. Had one in May. We're going to have one coming up this month. Got to see some folks who were married a few years ago. They're back. Oh, you know, love in a wedding is so romantic. I mean, it's just, it's so wonderful. You know, it's sweet. We take pictures of it. It looks nice, you know. It's good. And I'm not dismissing that. But as you get older, love takes on new forms. It matures. You learn that love is also about dedication, you know. Now, the world around us markets the romantic idea of love. And that, you know, you, you, you've got to be... You, you've got to be a participant in that if you want true love. So, you know, now they have these dating sites for, you know, people who are in their 70s. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, and you always see these attractive model-looking people coming up to each other. Now it's our time. We get to date. You know, the kids are out of the house. We're going to go blow their inheritance. And, you know, and they're all, they're all loving each other, you know. I always want them to just show some folks, you know, walking up on their walkers and everything. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I can't, can't go. I get there, you know, who, you know, and talking about what medications they take. I mean, I'm not making fun of you. I'm getting there myself. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm learning, but that's a form of love when you see people who have become so one that you can't, they can't see themselves apart, nor can, can we. And that's the vision we have when we talk about that love at a wedding. See, love matures. So when these kids get baptized and when these kids are growing in their faith, we need to celebrate that, but then we need to put a hand around them. We need to just keep walking with them and tell them about that maturing love. Now, don't download it all on them at once. You know, we can't just draw them up out of the baptistry and say, you know, okay, you got baptized today. Now, let me tell you what real love looks like. About time you started working for Jesus. No, 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 no. They figure it out the same way you and I figure it out. But they've got to have that mentoring, maturing disciple presence there in the church that teaches them to love others, but it's also showing them how to love God. There's an Old Testament idea on this, a proverb. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I want to confess something. I think that verse is somewhat torturous to a lot of people. 
Because there's a lot of people that I know who think, well, I did train up my child in the way that he or she should go. And they did depart from it. I'm not knocking that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to take that away. This is, this is a proverb. This is Proverbs 22.6. There's a couple of things I want to say about that. First of all, Proverbs... Now, this is going to sound shocking. You, you, you need to hear this in context, okay? Because, you know, you, 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 you clip this out, you know, like, uh, like they do in the media, you know, and you're going to, I'm going to say that that proverb is not absolutely true. Oh, no. I'm not applying that to all of the Bible. Proverbs by nature are generally true. That's the way they work. It is a general truth. Are there exceptions? Of course there's exceptions. You want absolute truth? Look at something like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, oh, this happened. The resurrection happened. If the resurrection didn't happen, then we are to be pitied more than anybody else. There are absolute truths in the gospel, in Scripture. But the idea here is is that it is our responsibility, and the thing we ought to do is train children in the way they should go And what that leads to is they don't depart from it. Now, okay, but what about the actual examples that we see where this does happen and the people who grieve over this? Well, I want to say a few other things about it. First of all, stories don't end with one mistake. Sometimes we think that somebody's departed from the way because they've made one mistake or they've made one decision or that's it, it's over. They've declared that they're an atheist. It's over. Well, no, wait. Their story's not finished yet. Uh, Karen's aunt has this famous saying that uh, you can train a child in the way that he should go, but that doesn't mean he won't make a detour up Fool's Hill. Okay? And that's true. Sometimes there are some detours on that. And leaving church is not the same as leaving Christ. Sometimes people need a sabbatical because they're getting this sorted out, but they might have this love for Christ. And we have to keep an eye on that too. And I, you know, if, if someone says, you know, Benjamin, I've grown up listening to you preach. I, I, don't think, I, I, just, I can't stand you. I can't stand your preaching and all that. But I'm still following Christ. I'll take that. I'll take that. Hate me all you want. I don't care. You know, that's fine. If you're still in there with Christ... Don't give up on Christ. You can give up on me, but don't give up on Christ. The other side of this proverb, by the way, is the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15. Where you see a father who, by by all accounts, did train up his child in the way he should go. And he did depart from it. And he went to his father and he said, I want my inheritance. Which is the same as him saying, I wish you were dead. And I wish they were reading the will. And I want my 50% and I'm out of here. Talk about offense. Talk about, that, that, that's a stoning offense in the Old Testament. Shameful. And the father gives it to him. And then, of course, it goes badly for this young man. Really bad. And he comes back willing to be a slave, not expecting to be received back in his father's household in any way, because that would be shameful to his father. 
And then there's this interesting scene where the father sees that young man. And while he's a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. Oh, isn't that sweet? No. People hearing that in the day of Jesus would have just recoiled. That's shameful. You know what that son did to his father? He ought to be slamming the door in his face. He needs to teach him a lesson. And the lack of dignity for that old man to you know, pick up his robe and go running lavish all that love on him it's just not done not that way there's a proper way to do it embracing him and kissing him and by the way how do you see that son is he just a poor lovable charmer who's made a mistake hey he's back we all love him here he comes hey sorry about all that i think this painter got it right the kid would have been a horror to look at Remember, he's living with pigs, and he's thinking that the slop and, and, the, and the garbage that they're being fed looks tasty. But when people have shamed us, they've done something to hurt themselves and hurt others. This is a scandalous love that, that Jesus is talking about in Luke 15. Now, that's a commitment to loving children. And by the way, the father in that story is not you and I. It's God. And he has trained up his children in the way that they should go, and guess what? They've departed from it. So even God can't get that parable to work. You look at his children, Israel. And how many times they depart from his ways. But what makes the difference is the scandalous love of the Father that he is willing to get back what he has lost and to display that love in a matter that may even be embarrassing. But it's pure. And it's right. And it's salvation. If we're going to have a commitment to children, our children by blood or our children by the blood of Christ, then we're going to have to practice the scandalous love of the Father. Because guess what? You and I are recipients of that scandalous love. That Christ didn't die for us when we put on our Sunday best and showed up and say, okay, we're ready. But He died for us when we were sinners. We were loved when we were unlovable. Now, rather than just burden us with an everlasting guilt, why don't we transform that into a way of life that demonstrates to others the kind of hope and healing that we, want, that we believe is found only in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your commitment to our children, whether by blood or by the blood of Christ. May God help us to carry this out I want to extend to you the love of the Father and let you know that He invites you to come to Him. Now, while we sing this song, we're going to have elders standing up here. We're going to have elders in room uh, 100. These shepherds want to pray with you. You can come share anything with them. Uh, Go to your brothers and sisters in Christ today. 
find out what it means to be so loved by God that you are welcomed back into the household, not as a slave, but as an honored guest. Let's stand, let's sing this song. If there's any response to be made, now's a good time. Have thine own way, Lord.